If you had to pick the top three ways in which the Lord Jesus was an inspiring example, what would you pick? Now, that's a difficult exercise to do, obviously, because there are so many things. But just have a think instinctively. What are the first things that spring to mind? In what ways was Jesus an inspiring example? Maybe you thought of his self-sacrifice for the sake of others, his willingness to go to the cross on our behalf. Uh, Or maybe it was his insightful teaching that you first thought of. Or maybe his compassion for people that society thought were unimportant. Or maybe his strength, his might, his willingness to stand up to those in authority. Or perhaps it was his prayerfulness. Now I wonder if that last one sprang to mind at all. My suspicion is that we probably didn't think of prayer instinctively. We think of Jesus as being many great things, but a great man of prayer is not one that springs to mind very readily. And yet Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the biographers of Jesus' life, all portray Jesus as a man who thought prayer was central to absolutely everything that he did. If you open up, for example, Mark's gospel and turn just to chapter 1, one of the first things that you see is that Jesus would routinely withdraw to desolate places in order to pray. And sometimes he would do this even when everybody was looking for him to be out there doing stuff, healing the sick, casting out demons, preaching in synagogues, and so on. Now, it's possible that that's all quite surprising for us. We might intuitively think that if anybody didn't need to spend time in prayer, it was Jesus. I mean, wasn't he the son of God? Wasn't he God incarnate? Why did he spend time in prayer? We can understand why he might have thought that we should spend time in prayer, but why did he spend so much time in prayer? And yet that's precisely the portrait we get of Jesus in all four of the gospels, that Jesus was a man of prayer as much as anything else. Now, we're beginning a series over the next few weeks about learning to pray like Jesus. And I wanted to start with this observation because if you're anything like me, you might be inclined to think that prayer is sort of something that we ought to do, but you often don't feel like you really need to do. Um, It doesn't feel particularly necessary a lot of the time. It feels like something I should do, but maybe not something that I have to do. And one of the things I was struck by as I was preparing this is that That's not how Jesus himself thought at all. He didn't, he genuinely seemed to think that prayer was necessary for everything he was doing. He didn't just tell us to pray, he was doing it himself. The Son of God genuinely thought that everything that he was doing was being driven forward by prayer to his heavenly Father. And that made me think, well, if Jesus thought it was that important, then I probably should do as well, and so should you. And we should try to learn from him. Well, we're going to be looking at five lessons from Jesus about prayer over the next five weeks. And our first lesson this week, we're going to begin by looking at the heart of prayer. What is the right attitude that we need to have when we come to pray? And really, our first lesson is going to be as much about the wrong heart as it is about the right heart. This is going to be as much a what wouldn't Jesus do sort of lesson as a what would Jesus do Kind of lessons. Does everyone, does everyone remember the sort of little wristbands that we used to wear back in the early noughties that would have WWJD printed on it? Where you wear that, what would Jesus do? 
No, nobody, just me. I'm the only one who remembers that. Okay, a few people do, great. At the 9.30, nobody seemed to have any memory of this at all. But I remember wearing these as a sort of, you know, memory aid. What would Jesus do? Anyway, the point was just that this is just as much a what wouldn't Jesus do week as it is what would Jesus do. And the lesson that we're going to be learning is this. If you want to get the heart of prayer right, don't pray like the hypocrites who only care about what other people think, but rather... Pray because you care about what God thinks. That's where we're going. But actually, um, this lesson on prayer comes as part of a broader lesson that Jesus is making in Matthew's gospel at this point. And actually, the headline point is about not practicing your righteousness in order to be seen by others, of which um, giving money is an example, and then prayer is going to be the, the second example. So it takes a little while to get to prayer, but we're going to follow it through the way the passage is written, and hopefully it will make sense when we get there. So our first um, point, which is the broader one um, for the section, about not practicing your righteousness before others. Have a look at verse 1 there. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now a little bit of context. We've dived in in the middle of Jesus's famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's gospel that stretches over several chapters. And one of the broad themes of the sermon is to take God seriously. Jesus was giving this sermon uh, in the first century to Jews in Galilee who were very familiar with the Old Testament laws and traditions that God had given in the past, but who were also in danger of treating the whole thing as a little bit of a sort of tick box exercise. And therefore, one of Jesus' main aims in the Sermon of the Mount was to get them to think harder about who they were really doing all this stuff for. Did they keep the laws and the commandments because they actually cared about the desires of their Heavenly Father? Or were they simply going through the motions and that they cared about other things instead? And now as we start chapter 6, Jesus introduces a warning. He says, you need to be careful about practicing your righteousness in front of other people because you can very easily fall into the trap of caring more about what they think than about what your heavenly father thinks. Now the concept of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them has a very contemporary feel to it. it. It sounds an awful lot like what we would call virtue signaling in 2023. That term was made popular in an article in The Spectator in 2015, and it's amazing how quickly the term has found its way into our psyche and into our conversation. It feels like we live in a world that is full of virtue signaling um, from the individual level to even at the corporate level. In fact, Companies are realizing that they can make a profit out of virtue signaling uh, in the modern day. In 2018, for example, Nike came out with this advert. They hired an NFL star um, who had been very vocal about some particular issues of social justice. Um, They hired him for the ad campaign and they put a new twist on their old slogan, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything, just do it. Now, setting aside the question of whether um, he was right or wrong in what he was um, campaigning for, we're not going to um, discuss that this morning. Um, He may or may not have been uh, right or wrong. But one suspects that when it comes to Nike, their real motivation in all of this was the popularity that they would get out of 
um, adding him to their advert, rather than the issue itself. For example, if anyone remembers back to the 90s and the early noughties, you may remember that Nike haven't had the best record themselves of social justice when it comes to their own factories and production lines. And sure enough, according to one online article, they reported a 31% increase of online sales over the previous year after they released this advert. So virtue signaling works. Companies can make a profit out of it. And I'm sure that those of you who work in the corporate world know this only too well. If your company gives to charity, you know that they make sure that everybody hears about it. And therefore, Jesus' warning is as relevant to us today as it was 2,000 years ago. We also need to beware practicing our righteousness before others in order to be seen by them, because we live in a world that encourages us to do it. But before we go any further, we need to clarify why Jesus thinks it's wrong to want to be seen by other people when you do a good deed. Because the issue is not that you should never care about the opinions of other people. We all care about what other people think. Jesus isn't encouraging everybody to become sort of mavericks who only care about what they think and not what other people think. That's a surefire way to become um, insufferable rather than godly. Now have a look at the end of the sentence. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them, because if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus' concern is not that we should never care about what other people think. The issue is when we start to care more about what people think than what our Heavenly Father thinks. It's fine to do your acts of righteousness for an audience. The question is, which audience do you care about? The world around you or your heavenly father? And in the rest of the passage, Jesus goes on then to give two key examples. Firstly, money, and then secondly, prayer, which will make the focus of our time for the sake of this series. But first of all, money. And the first example is don't give money like the hypocrites do. Have a look down at verses 2 to 4 with me. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The term hypocrite comes from the Greek word uh, hypocrites, meaning actor. Two uh, years of studying Greek so far hasn't gone to waste. Uh, And so really what Jesus is saying here is don't be like the actors. Don't be like the virtue signalers who put on a show for the sake of others. And the people that Jesus has in mind are the religious people of the day who liked to make a big show of the fact that they were giving money to support the poor and needy. They were acting out their righteousness so that they might be seen by others. Now you might have in your mind's eye a sort of rather comical image of them literally employing trumpeters to go before them and um, give a fanfare and some guy with a posh voice announcing that they're about to give some money to the poor. I doubt that's how it worked out in, in practice. I think that probably looks ridiculous in any culture and you're not taken seriously. More likely it was a bit more subtle than that. It may have been that the trumpets Jesus is referring to were the trumpets of the feasts which were sounded to call everybody together, and as part of that, 
the people of Israel were encouraged to give money, give alms to the poor. It was a good thing in and of itself. It was there to remind everybody, the trumpets were there to remind everybody that you should be supporting the poor in your midst. But it was also a fantastic opportunity to be seen by others. And you can imagine the hypocrites getting really good at it, can't you? They would have been experts at humility in the limelight. You see, the trick is to make it appear like you're not trying to draw attention to yourself, whilst at the same time making sure that everybody sees what you're doing nevertheless. So, for example, you can imagine them withdrawing their money, planning in advance to withdraw it in lots of small coins rather than a few large notes so that you can drag several bags along with you to the temple treasury. And you pour it in really slowly so that it takes a lot of time. And as you do that, of course, with your body language, you can be very much trying to make it look like you're not drawing attention to yourself. But, of course, everyone can see how long you're there for. And the word will start to get round. People will start to say, did you see so-and-so? Do you see how much he gave at the temple treasury? It's amazing, isn't it? You know, he's he's a rich guy, he has a lot of money, but it's it's so nice to see someone whose money hasn't gone to their head and is willing to give generously. (laughs) And he's so humble as well, do you see? He never tries to draw attention to it. And the word goes round. And eventually the word comes back to the hypocrites and their hearts swell within them. And Jesus says, They have received their reward already. They will get none from their heavenly father. Because they didn't once think that they should give because he wanted them to give. Now what they should have done, Jesus says, is given privately so that nobody could see. When you give to the poor, don't even know what your left, don't don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, Jesus says. And what he means isn't that you should give in a sort of carefree way, like you don't really think about the amount of money, just sign off the check and don't worry about it. That's not what he means. What he means is that nobody should see your giving. Even your left hand shouldn't see what your right hand is doing. It's an almost comical image, isn't it? You can imagine the left hand sort of going, oh, what are you doing over there? And the right hand kind of going, oh, nothing, nothing. While the right hand is quietly setting up the direct debit on your banking app on your phone. But God saw it. Your father in heaven who sees things in secret, he noticed in secret. And Jesus says he will reward you in secret. Over the past few months, we've been encouraging everyone in the church family to think about their giving, as Luke mentioned earlier in the service, so we can plan our um, budget for the next year. If you're a visitor or a guest here this morning, don't worry, this isn't targeted at you at all. But I wonder as you did that, Were you doing it because you wanted to please your Heavenly Father? Was that the foremost thought in your mind as you've been thinking about your giving over the last few weeks? Well, that was money. What about prayer then? Getting to prayer at last. And the second lesson is, well, don't pray like the hypocrites either. And hopefully the preamble where we've looked at money will now help us to understand more prayer more clearly because of the similarity uh, between the two. Have a look down at verse 5 with me. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. 
Again, the hypocrites are in view, the actors, the ones who like to put on a big show for others. This time it's another chance for religious people to show how godly they are in front of other religious people. They've tipped their bags of cash into the treasury and now they turn to prayer in the synagogue. And again, we shouldn't imagine some sort of pantomime comical scene here. The hypocrites are unlikely to stand on the street corner or in the synagogue with a megaphone announcing that they're now about to pray to everyone. That's just ridiculous. Remember, they would have been world class at appearing godly whilst actually caring about the opinions of others. They were highly skilled at humility in the limelight. So, for example, they probably knew that you shouldn't stand in the middle of the synagogue with your arms in the air. That's far too obvious, isn't it? No, you stand off to one side, sitting down perhaps with your head bowed slightly so that it's clear to everyone that you're just trying to pray quietly in the corner and not make a big fuss. And you're perfectly happy that lots of people won't notice you because a couple of people will notice and then they will say, did you notice so-and-so? He's a great man of prayer. He's always there praying quietly in the corner for the needs of the church. Great man. And the word gets round, and it gets back to the hypocrites, and their hearts swell within them. And when they pray in public at the prayer gathering, they don't use long theological words either. When they're praying with other people, they don't use words like sanctification and justification and glorification. They don't care to be precise about exactly which member of the Trinity that they're praying to. They don't pray first. All of those things are far too obvious. What they do is that they wait until there's a pause and then they start praying earnestly with really simple language about something profound. And they slow their voice down and emphasize each word to show how important the thing is that they're praying for. Maybe they'll get slightly emotional. (laughs) That's a world-class hypocrite. Because everybody is thinking, wow, they must be such a warrior in prayer. And Jesus says, they've received their reward already. They'll get none from their heavenly father. Because they didn't really care about what he thought. No, Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room. Shut the door. And pray to your father in secret where nobody can see you. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And of course, Jesus isn't saying that prayer should only ever be a private, spiritual thing, that we should never pray in public at all. That's, that's not what he means at all. The Bible is full of corporate prayers. Jesus is about to give us a corporate prayer in a few verses' time, which we'll hear about next week. So do please keep coming along to our monthly prayer gathering and praying out loud with others. Do keep praying in your life groups. That's not the point. The point is, as with the money example, beware whose commendation you're seeking. Beware practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. It's the one who is watching in secret that you should care about. Because if you only care about the reward of your Heavenly Father, then it shouldn't really make a difference to you whether you give in private or give in public, whether you pray in private or pray in public. It shouldn't make a difference to you because you're only ever doing it for an audience of one and he always sees anyway. Now, it's possible that the talk of rewards in this passage might make some of us 
feeling slightly twitchy. Is that really right? Three times Jesus says that God will reward us. And it sounds dangerously close to the so-called prosperity gospel that rips apart much of the church today, where church leaders will say things like, give money to the church and God will reward you and bless you in return. That doesn't seem quite right, does it? Or perhaps if you come from a, a strongly reformed background with a, with a capital R, maybe all of this sounds a little bit like we're trying to earn our way into God's good books. And you're thinking, well, isn't that the sort of thing that Martin Luther and his friends kind of fought against in the Reformation? That doesn't seem quite right either. So how do we think about the reward of our Heavenly Father? Well, actually, I think the Bible is often far less embarrassed than we are about saying that God will reward his children. When you think about it, what kind of God is it that we serve? He's not some sort of stingy God, is he? He's a God of great generosity. If you don't believe me, go on holiday to like anywhere in the world and just see the goodness and the richness of creation, for example. Our Heavenly Father is one who wants to bless his creation and fill it full of goodness. He's a God of generosity. Now, the prosperity gospel is very dangerous, certainly, because it sort of turns God into a kind of a genie and a lamp to do your bidding. But it's not totally wrong. In the new creation, in God's new world, the the, the plans that he's working everything towards in creation, you will be rewarded beyond your wildest dreams. That's biblical. God made a good world in Genesis 1. It was corrupted by sin in Genesis 3. He's working all things towards a new world that will fulfill all the dreams and desires that he had in in the beginning, overflowing with goodness. And he won't settle for less, even if we settle for less. So rewards, you bet there'll be rewards. Anyone who follows Jesus as Lord right until the end is going to get a whopping payout. However, whilst all of that is true, I don't think that the reward that Jesus is talking about here in this passage is a material reward, but rather a relational reward. Because if you think about it, what is the reward that the hypocrites seek as they sign off a big check to charity? What is the reward that they seek as they pray standing on the street corner? They're not, it's not a material reward. They're not expecting to get the money back out of the treasury later on. What they're after is the praise of man. They want to be praised by people around them. They want people to say behind their backs, oh, what a fantastic guy. That's the reward that the hypocrites are after. And therefore, by implication, the reward that you should be seeking from your heavenly father in this passage is the same thing. The hypocrites want to be praised in public. They want people to see them and praise them. But Jesus says you should be seeking the praise of your heavenly father. He sees your giving in secret. He sees you pray in secret. And he will praise you in secret. That isn't a material reward per se. But it's a thrilling thought, isn't it, to think that your heavenly father might be looking down on you and smiling at what you've done. Delighted by it and praising you for it. Well, let's draw things together a little bit. First lesson in prayer in this series from Jesus is don't pray like the hypocrites, the virtue signalers who only care about putting on a show for other people. Don't do that. Which if we spin it round positively, really the point that Jesus is making is that when you pray, You should pray to your Heavenly Father and care about his opinion only. 
This is what the heart of prayer is all about. In fact, this is a little bit reductionistic. But there's a sense in which this passage could be boiled down to just one word. Father. Do you believe that God is your heavenly father and that you are his son or daughter? Or do you think that he's, some, he's out there as a sort of spiritual force of some kind, but really you care more about the praise that comes from other people than the praise that comes from him? And so the first lesson in prayer is that we need to begin with the right view of God himself, a father that we're seeking to please. Lots of us struggle to pray regularly, uh, many of us struggle to pray regularly, and we think to ourselves, well, I need to do something to get myself to pray more. Maybe, you know, may, maybe if I'm better at setting aside time in the morning to do a quiet time regularly, maybe then I'll pray more. Or maybe if I go to bed a bit earlier, be a bit more disciplined about that, maybe then I'll pray more before I go to bed. Or maybe if I read this particular book, that will help me to, to pray better. Or, or, or maybe I just need to find the right sort of words or the right people to pray with. Or maybe I just, if I start praying more, maybe prayer will become easier. And, Those things are all well and good. They're all good things, for sure. But they might be the wrong starting point for us. The right starting point might be to ask ourselves about what our view of God himself is really like. Do we live our lives constantly asking ourselves what will make us look good in the eyes of others? Or do we live to please our Father in heaven and do we seek his praise? If we don't, then that's really where we need to focus our thinking rather than prayer. But if we do, it may well be that prayer starts to come more naturally as we come before our Heavenly Father. Why did Jesus think that prayer was important? Well, basically because his life's ambition was to please his Heavenly Father. And that should be ours as well. Why don't we pray to finish? Father, we're sorry that so often we forget that you are there, you are watching us. And that our lives ought to be about doing your will and your desire and pleasing you. We're sorry, Father, that so often we care more about the praise that comes from others than the praise that comes from you. And as we go through this series on prayer over the summer, Father, we pray that you'd help us to start at the right point by looking towards you and remind ourselves who it is that we're seeking to please. We pray that you keep that on our minds during this coming week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.